Hello, this is the Organic BC Podcast, and I'm Jordan Marr, an organic corn grower from the Okanagan Valley and the show's current host. What you're about to listen to is a re-release of an episode originally produced for the 2022 BC Organic Conference. I hope you enjoy it. In this episode, BC organic rancher Tristan Banwell describes the changes to BC's meat slaughter regulations that took effect on October 1st, 2020. We begin our conversation with a brief review of how slaughter regulations have evolved in BC over the last two decades, leading up to these newest changes, which Tristan believes will create new opportunities for meat producers in the province, particularly those operating at a small scale. It's a must listen for meat producers in BC, and I hope you all enjoy it. All right, let's get going. I'll talk to you later on. Tristan Banwell. Jordan Marr. Welcome back to the Organic BC Podcast. Thank you, sir. Tristan, let's start at the start. We're going to be talking about some changes to meat regulations in BC. And before we get Mm -hmm. into that, I would love to know what makes you qualified to talk about this. Okay, well, I manage Spray Creek Ranch, and we are a diverse, organic, direct marketing livestock operation. And we also operate a small licensed on-farm abattoir uh, that we're developing from an uninspected to an inspected abattoir. So it's growing. Um, I'm also the founding vice president of the Small Scale Meat Producers Association. And I sat on the Ministry of Agriculture's task force for modernization of the meat inspection regulation. So well qualified, I'd say. I, I would agree. Thank you for that. Let's get into it. So Tristan, as I understand, you want to talk about, you want to provide some context or some history or background before we actually get into talking about the, uh, the, the changes to the regulations. So I'll let you decide where you want to start. Tell us a little bit about some recent uh, history as far as meat regs in BC. Okay, so the, the history of this essentially started in response to the BSE or mad cow disease crisis in Canada. And in 2004, in response to that crisis, the BC provincial government enacted a stringent set of meat inspection regulations that essentially eliminated small rural abattoirs that were serving many farmers and ranchers throughout the province. So um, these rules came into place to to, uh, ensure that BSE wasn't spreading and to enable us to continue to access export markets for, for beef. Uh, but the cost of compliance with the regulation and the regulatory burden was very high and many small shops simply closed their doors. Uh, Reports estimate that several hundred unlicensed abattoirs shut down across the province at that time. And that had a well-documented impact on small-scale livestock production. Some regions documented declines in herd sizes and the economic impacts. Could you just talk about the impact on the food economy in BC of of the 2004 regulation? Like what, what did it actually mean for people who produce meat and people who bought meat from small-scale producers or from small-scale abattoirs? Yeah, I'd say in, in, simple, in simple terms, it wiped out farm gate sales of meat that was very common before. They're, they're all throughout the province, small facilities, small on-farm slaughter operations, small abattoirs and mom-and-pop meat shops, for lack of a better word that would um, slaughter and and cut and wrap and process meat from livestock right from that area and then sell directly to people right there locally. And uh, suddenly that that became impossible um, with the need for meat inspectors to be present 
with the tie-in with the CFIA so that the meat inspection regulation initially was overseen by the CFIA and there was a, a, a high cost of compliance, including office space for inspectors and separate washrooms and, and all kinds of costs in terms of uh, water system upgrades and many things that uh, small facilities just simply couldn't afford to. And of course, as always, you know, many people are close to retirement and just looked at looked down the barrel of what they'd have to do to accomplish this and just said, forget it. Well, they just threw up their hands and went out of business. Or um, it also drove uh, some slaughter to essentially um, what we call like unlicensed slaughter or I guess illegal slaughter, but basically just drove it underground so that people were still going to slaughter and process meat uh, to sell directly to their neighbors and whatnot. Uh, but now under the new regulations, it became essentially illegal and they risked, uh, you know, fines and sanctions against their business. So there, there have been some updates to that regulation since the most notable would be the addition of what was called class D and E licenses, which were introduced in 2010. Those are so, Tristan, Tristan, I'm sorry. I'm going to stop you there okay. because I did a little sure. bit of uh, volunteer research on this issue way back in 2005, 2006. Mm -hmm. I just want to clarify or ask you to clarify one thing you said. The government did not anticipate this at least fully, was caught a bit flat-footed, had people mm -hmm. protesting all over the province, and then had, oh, yeah. to, had to reconsider aspects of the regulation. Is that roughly yeah. correct? Well, I, yeah, it was, it was I would say it was collateral damage. You know, 2004, those regs came in. 2010, they were... Um, amended to increase opportunities and then now 2021 we have another update so that's kind of the pace that this is moving and all along um, farmers and ranchers and, and uh, food system advocates have been fighting and pushing for uh, for changes and improvements that make it um, uh, maintain the food safety aspects needed of the meat inspection regulation but make it less costly and less burdensome for small facilities to to comply. Okay, so thank you for that. And then let's get back to where I cut you off. You were just about to, I believe, to talk about in 2010, Class D and Class E licenses. Sure, yeah. And so there, there were a number throughout that time, some regional districts, um, like I said, documented the impacts really clearly. And, and there were uh, a lot of people advocating for some changes. And that culminated in a 2010 update which introduced class D and E licenses, which was for on-farm slaughter for small numbers of livestock to be slaughtered on the farm um, without an inspector present. Uh, if the, you know, the, the facility is, is inspected and licensed, but you don't have to have an inspector present. But these, these licenses were only available in 10 regional districts um, that were some of the more remote areas of the province that were deemed underserved. So this, this was an opportunity beginning in 2010, but was not available all throughout the province. And uh, real quick, w among other pertinent aspects of these licenses, I believe one was you were restricted as to the geography in which you could then sell that meat. That's right. Thanks. Yeah. So you, you were able to do only a small number, either um, 10 or 25 animal units and an animal unit for the rest of this conversation. An animal unit is, is uh, 1,000 pounds live weight. Of, of livestock of whatever types. So 10 or 25 animal units, and you were only able to sell within your regional district. And that opportunity was only available in 10, in 10 regional districts um, for the, for the class D license. So, so anyway, the um, farmers and ranchers and food security advocates continued to demand better access to slaughter. 
in various areas of the province. And then we basically came around to where we had our most recent set of changes initiated. Okay, great. I think that I think that's a decent like bit of context leading into uh, the most recent changes. So we're very close to you describing the changes, but maybe maybe I'll ask you this question. As someone producing meat and, and as someone in, in a regional district that did benefit from the 2010 updates, what were you still yearning for? Just to give people a sense of like what producers and abattoirs wanted out of an update. What, what Can you give us a couple, two or three examples? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, in my case, the fact that we had access to a a small scale, um, relatively easy to comply with opportunity to develop on-farm slaughter was an on-ramp or, or sort of a launching pad for me to develop a larger, small commercial abattoir that we're working on now. I never would have been able to make the leap directly from just a cow-calf ranch to having this larger facility that we're building now. Um, so I had... Um, I was lucky enough to have the access to that opportunity, but I could look around, I could see that many, I mean, most of the province and where most of the farms are located and certainly where most of the customers are located did not have access to this. So one of my main motivating factors was spreading this all over the province, um, this access to small scale on farm slaughter. So anyone who raises livestock knows that that access to, to abattoirs is difficult. Um, we're they're, they're overbooked. We have to book livestock a year or more in advance. And sometimes you simply just can't get your, your um, animals slaughtered and processed at the times that you need. It can be really challenging. And, uh, and in some areas of the province, of course, there's just that the transportation distances to reach a licensed abattoir are very high. So there's a need for additional slaughter and meat cutting capacity in BC. And so we're looking for a way to address that as well. And I think Essentially, the arguments for expansion to of access to legal on-farm slaughter are pretty simple. One is, if it's if it's safe for me to do this here, why isn't it safe for someone in the Okanagan? Or why isn't it safe for somebody in the Lower Mainland? It, another is, if it's safe for me to sell my meats within my regional district, um, why isn't it safe for me to sell it in the next regional district over? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of these, these elements are um, attempts to of course, to mitigate and reduce risk. And so one of the key arguments in in all of this is that food safety oversight from the government, that the level of oversight should match the risk. And for these direct marketing, local and small scale meat producers that are impacted by this, supply chains are short, transparency is high, and the risks of a foodborne illness outbreak are nothing like the massive national and globalized supply chain of the of the few major meat producing corporations right mm-hmm. so the risk is the risk is low and therefore we should expand the opportunity a little bit here so that was that was some of the the kind of key arguments so the update to the meat inspection regulation uh, took effect on october 1st but the actual process of getting there started several years ago and minister of agriculture lana popham and her office began a process of consultations with farmers, sector groups, with regional districts, and with the public to gather information about the needs and shortcomings for livestock processing, including that included slaughter, cut and wrap, and value-added processing like sausage making. And there were several rounds of consultations, several reports generated, 
and a continued large amount of hard work and advocacy. And that, that ultimately culminated in this, in this update to the meat inspection regulation. It was announced in the summer of 2021. And like I said, it took effect on October 1st of 2021. Great. Thank you. So tell us about the changes that have taken effect as of October 1st. To keep it pretty simple, there are now three classes of slaughter license. So I guess I should start by saying, if you're slaughtering livestock for your own personal use of yourself, your family, and uh, the people who work on your farm, then you don't need a license for that. You can slaughter animals on your own farm for your own personal consumption. That is legal. As soon as you're going to do any type of sales of that meat, you have to have one of these classes of slaughter license for your farm or be using a licensed abattoir that does have the license. So as soon as you're going to sell any meat, you have to do this. Uh, the other thing I should mention is that the meat inspection regulation changes are for slaughter only. And we'll talk about what that means. But essentially, the things we're talking about now are not for being able to cut up a side of beef or a pig carcass on your farm. It's for slaughter only. So with those caveats, let's get into it a little bit. The what was previously called the class A and B licenses, which were um, commercial inspected abattoirs where there's a meat inspector present for all slaughter. Uh, those have now been combined together under the abattoir license. Um, so these are commercial facilities. Typically, they could be located on a farm or not. Um, and they're able to slaughter an unlimited amount of animals. Uh, but an inspector is present to look at every every animal before and to look at inspect the carcass after to ensure that the animal is healthy and the food is going to be safe. So this is primarily where um, small scale producers are going to take their livestock to a facility and pay that facility to slaughter and butcher them. That's now all been combined together under the abattoir license. Then as you get to where the, the, the meat of the changes, uh, so to speak, happened, now we have instead of the class D and E licenses, we have the farm gate license and the farm gate plus license. A farm gate license allows you to slaughter your own animals only. You can't slaughter for other farms and you can only sell that meat direct to consumers. Okay, you can sell that meat at the farm gate and you can sell them at farmers markets in your regional district and within 50 kilometers of where your farm is. And this only allows you to slaughter one to five animal units. So one to one to 5,000 pounds live weight um, of, of livestock. So say five steers per year, for example. Okay. So that's the smallest class of license. And the next one up is the farm gate plus license. That allows you to slaughter your own animals, but also slaughter for other farms. And you can sell direct to consumers like, like the farm gate license, but you can also sell through retail establishments. So you'd be able to sell that meat to a restaurant or even put it in a, uh, a small market or something like that. And it allows you to slaughter up to 25 animal units per year. Okay. And both the farm, all of these three license classes now, they're available anywhere in the province. So that's that's an enormous change um, that you can get a Farmgate Plus license or a Farmgate license anywhere in BC. And although the Farmgate license has a limit to where geographically you can sell, the Farmgate Plus allows you to retail 
or to sell anywhere in BC. So in other words, as of October 1st, if you're in the caribou, the day before that, you were not allowed to do on-farm slaughter um, with there was no class D licenses available in the caribou, for instance. Now you can get a Farmgate Plus license. You could legally slaughter animals on your farm, have them cut and wrapped by a, a licensed meat shop, and then you could take that meat and deliver it into the Okanagan or take it to the lower mainland where your customers are and legally sell that meat. Okay, so a couple, one or two follow-up questions. Um, so as you say, Farmgate Plus allows you to, to your meat to be sold outside of your regional district. So there's there's a big change. Mm-hmm. Give me a cent, up to 25 animal units. Um, it, is that total or per farm that's having their animals slaughtered in your facility? So that is total. Okay. So if, if, if your farm atta- obtains a Farmgate Plus license, and and you're on that 25 animal units let's say you're doing beef and we'll say one one finished beef is one uh one animal unit you could do 10 of your farm and five for each of three other farms you can add up to a total of 25 not 25 per farm yeah but those other farms could obtain their own farm gate plus license and they could slaughter their full 25 on on their property instead Right. Okay. So one, one observation is that, um, Farmgate plus 25 animal units, 25,000 pounds of, of animal, essentially, it doesn't Mm -hmm. seem like all that much for, for a commercially oriented livestock operation. Well, let's just, let's do a little quick, quick math. I didn't, um, I don't have my spreadsheet right in front of me just to do the easy division, but let's say, uh, 25, um, two year old grass finished beef Mm -hmm. or, um, if a, a market hog is 250 pounds, so that would be a hundred hogs or under the class D license, the limit was the same. And we were slaughtering, uh, primarily poultry and we were doing a couple thousand chickens, several hundred turkeys and, uh, and also culling laying hens for soup hens, um, of several hundred. And we had a little bit of wiggle room still left over. So for a small lot poultry producer, you could produce your limits of each species, um, or each class of poultry, slaughter them all legally on the farm within that 25 animal units. So, yeah, so it's a good point. It's not unlimited, but when you grow beyond that size, the risk is increasing and you're becoming more of a commercial operation in terms of abattoir activities, then you have to obtain your abattoir license. Okay, so that brings me sort of to my next question, which is it's essentially these three classifications now. Abattoir license, farm gate, and farm gate plus. It's been simplified right. to those three. Okay. Right. Um, and just to clarify, because I don't know if you did, the farm gate and farm gate plus are both, the facilities are subject to inspection, but you do not need a CFIA inspector present during every slaughter. That's right. I mean, to clarify, the inspectors are no longer from the CFIA, mm-hmm. that um, <clears throat> the inspection authority devolved to the provincial government quite a while ago. So now they're Ministry of Agriculture inspectors. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Farmgate Plus and Farmgate license do not have an inspector present for all slaughter, um, like the abattoir license does. The abattoir license, you're not going to start the day until your inspector has looked at all the livestock that are going to be slaughtered for the day, inspected their health, for, for a, and then inspects each carcass afterward. The Farmgate Plus and the Farmgate license it's the responsibility of the licensed producer 
who's operating the facility to ensure that the animals are healthy and that um, nothing that's problematic passes into the food system. So I will, I'll take that opportunity also to say that I, I believe that the ministry is looking at alternative forms of inspection because having a an inspector physically present at each facility uh, is I, I, it's pretty costly for a small scale facility that's that's um you know doing a low number of animals each day so they are looking at different opportunities for remote inspections uh, or for what they call cold carcass inspection where an inspector would be able to go around and inspect the the carcasses in the cooler and then release them for for further processing meaning that they could do multiple facilities in one day instead of standing and watching at, at one facility where just a few animals are being slaughtered okay so tristan i hope to go on a hopefully a brief tangent here we've mm -hmm. been focused on slaughter and and i just want to ask you about the next stage right the the cutting and wrapping you know, I'm just wondering, like, okay, so there's a bunch of of, of operators now that'll have the opportunity to to do some to, to do some slaughter on on site that makes more sense for them financially, etc. But does it put them in a much better position if they still are reliant on kind of a parallel system to go get their stuff cut and wrapped? Do you still not have the backlogs? Like, is there, how how does the cutting and wrapping factor in to these changes and trying to improve the overall system? That's, that's a great point and a great question. There's, there's a lot more meat shops than there are abattoirs. Okay. Let's just put it that way, right? Um, we definitely have a shortage of skilled meat cutters in British Columbia. That's an identified and known issue in these, in these uh, government reports that have come out. And, and also in sector group reports like BC Meats has done, um, everybody has identified that there's a shortage of skilled workers in this, in this trade. And there is a shortage of both slaughter capacity and cut and wrap capacity. So it's true that if you're using a FarmGate or FarmGate Plus license, you need to take those, those whole carcasses to a, a licensed cut and wrap facility to be, uh, to be cut up and packaged and, and further processed like sausage and other things like that. So right off the bat, you can say, okay, for poultry, poultry is being packaged whole typically um, with just the FarmGate license classes, you can package up those whole chickens, those whole turkeys, sell them like that okay mm -hmm. or rabbits let's say so there's some opportunity for still marketing that um there's also an opportunity uh for selling you could sell sides or i believe maybe even down to quarters um of animals directly so if you had a restaurant customer or somebody who was willing to purchase a side of pork or a quarter of beef that doesn't entail that further processing but if you want to sell a steak at the farmer's market and you're slaughtering under the farm gate license, you have to take it to a, a cut and wrap meat shop. So what that means, those facilities, essentially, uh, they're, they're a food, they're a licensed food premise, and it, it has much the same requirements as, as say a restaurant would have, you know, you have to have washable surfaces, stainless steel things, you have to have uh, water that passes tests and water, wastewater treatment, things like that. So there's a little bit higher bar, but some people do have those types of facilities on their farm. Um, it's not going to happen in your home kitchen, uh, but it can be a relatively modest facility and a number of farms uh, do operate a cut and wrap in association with their on-farm abattoir. And, and we're talking also then about uh, keeping, keeping a carcass cold and food safe. Mm -hmm. um, there's various ways to accomplish that, to get it from your uh, cooling facility to a uh, meat shop, but you're transporting 
meat. You're not transporting a live animal. And so you don't also have the animal welfare issues attendant with that. Like many people want to slaughter on the farm because it's the lowest possible stress for the livestock. They don't have to be transported on highways. You don't have to transport in adverse weather conditions. And not only hours potentially of driving or tens of hours in some cases, but also ferries. You know, some of these producers may be on the Gulf Islands, maybe on Haida Gwaii and, and are actually having to travel on one or multiple ferries with their livestock to reach a, a current, you know, licensed abattoir. Well, now they could accomplish that on the farm potentially. Uh, I'm gonna. You touched in in your last set of answers on opportunities that that the new um, licenses allow. So um, I wanted to formally ask you about that. So you pointed out that under the new new regulations, okay, now you can be you can be slaughtering your chickens and packaging them whole or your rabbits and and selling. There's no need for the cut and wrap in that in that situation. You can you can, right. you can do it that way. So what about other opportunities created by this new this 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 new system? Well, I think a huge opportunity that needs to be explored more, and this gets a little bit more into the logistics of how these licenses work. Um, if you have a FarmGate or FarmGate Plus license, the, the the farm operator, let's say, or the farm manager, someone has to be the, the license holder, and they are ultimately responsible for the safe food safety elements and that the, your operating protocols are, are being followed so that things are being sanitized appropriately and livestock are healthy, all of those kind of things. But that doesn't have to be the person who actually carries out the slaughter. You can have a designated slaughter person for these licenses. And what that means is the, the designated slaughter person that could be a business of its own. The slaughter person could be operating a mobile slaughter truck unit and traveling to multiple different farms, slaughtering livestock on behalf of the FarmGate or FarmGate Plus license holders, and then transporting those carcasses safely to a meat shop where they could be chilled and then further cut and wrapped. So I think that that's one of the biggest opportunities is for mobile slaughter operators to operate on FarmGate and FarmGate Plus licensed farms and, and create that link in the supply chain for these uh, these smaller scale direct marketing farms. Can I stop you there? Absolutely. I just want to tease that apart a bit. So um, you are let's just let's just talk about chicken because I know I know it's a little simpler to to operate a mobile chicken slaughter unit um, mm-hmm. as as a potential FarmGate or FarmGate Plus license holder. Can and who and you don't intend to have the actual slaughter capital or, or infrastructure on your farm, what do you need to do to get that license? Can you describe the physical site at the farm that is required to be able to have the license and yet not have the building itself? Like you're going to have that third party come in with their mobile unit. How does that, inter- how does, how does that unit interact with your license? Right. So all, all, every different type of, um, uh, abattoir or farm gate, or FarmGate Plus license situation is going to be individual on a case-by-case basis. So the ministry will send somebody out to inspect the facility. So there's a combination of physical infrastructure that you need to have um, and uh, food safety plans. So one of the first steps is to take the uh, new slaughter right course. So there's a course about um, safe and humane slaughter and about food safety that you need to accomplish and that helps you develop your food safety plans. So in your food safety plan, 
then you'd be uh, designating how the slaughter is going to occur, where it's going to occur, and all of the specific details about all the different steps of where the animals are held and how the facility is cleaned and everything like that. So in the case that um, the operator is coming from off of the farm, what you would need to be providing is there, there has to be uh, a tested source of safe water that has to pass the Canadian drinking water um, standard and a clean area to uh, humanely restrain and stun the animals. So that's going to be the primary requirements if, if the uh, actual physical infrastructure is coming from off the farm, like a mobile poultry slaughter trailer, let's say. Um, and then you're going to still have to describe the trailer and, and uh, how the operation is going to take place. But I can see how uh, uh, it's a big opportunity for a mobile slaughter operator to uh, facilitate that for multiple different farms who are each going to get their own farm gate plus license. Those, those uh, standard operating procedures would be really similar and could be shared and used by multiple different farms with their own specifics for each of their farm locations. Okay, so sounds like there's some flexibility built in to these licenses, and I'm going to come back to that, but I want to stay on the train of opportunities. Are there any other opportunities you wanted to highlight as a result of these new licenses? So you've, you've, yeah. you've given us the example of the third-party slaughter business. Anything else? It's going to be on a case-by-case -case basis, but I think there is some opportunity for... Um, I'm trying to imagine, let's say there's a farm, you have relatively close proximity to a town of some sort. Uh, it, it's possible that you could be slaughtering at your at your farm under your farm gate or farm gate plus license. Uh, and then you could potentially be using another type of food processing facility uh, for your cutting and wrapping. So if you had a cooler on your farm where you could chill those carcasses and hold them, then maybe you could transport those to uh, a restaurant on their off days and use a different type of commercial kitchen. Um, it, you know, they'd be again on a case by case basis, but I think that's one way that the space bottleneck could be filled. Like if you don't have access to a, a cut and wrap meat shop um, and another opportunity maybe to do some of that type of processing at a food hub. So I know that there's been recently quite a bit of funding for food hubs. Some of them are interested in tackling um, meat, meat cutting and cut and wrap capacity as one of their functions. So that's, that's an opportunity in some areas of the province, potentially. One more opportunity I wanted to mention is that some producers may continue to use uh, an inspected abattoir for most of their slaughter and butchery, but there may be times of the year when the abattoir that they're using doesn't have the capacity um, or you can't get a slaughter date booked for uh, that's at the right time as your livestock are finishing so having one of these farm gate licenses could allow you to just um, fill the gaps where you're not able to actually utilize that abattoir for those other reasons so that brings to mind a question i haven't thought to ask you putting aside the cost of actually investing in the equipment and infrastructure to qualify for a license let's just put that aside what is it what does it cost to keep your license or to get your license in the first place is it expensive Oh, I think until now there hasn't been a fee. I do think that they may they've they've mentioned that they may be introducing um, some annual fees for this license, but to date there hasn't been um, application or or uh, ongoing fees. Which would imply that if they do introduce it, 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 one could assume it would probably be relatively modest. I would think so. Yeah. Okay. We're going to broaden out now as we wrap up this conversation, Tristan. 
but just to just to get back to what so I asked you up to describe you know the relationship between a license a FarmGate or FarmGate Plus license holder and say the third party slaughter unit that's going to come in and you did a good job of describing how that would work. In 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 listening to you, it sounds like there's a lot of flexibility built in to these licenses in terms of how you de- are able to demonstrate your um, suitability for a license and and to qualify. However, when I think back to 2004, the regulations that came in that I think took effect in 2006, as I said, I I did a bit of research on them. I remember interviewing a bureaucrat with the Ministry of Agriculture at the time who was very involved in crafting those regulations. And that person insisted to me that that the, the, the problems that arose were not from the regulations themselves because that person insisted that there was a lot of discretion and flexibility built in to allow the small scale abattoir to work with the regulations and like um, meet them in an affordable way. This bureaucrat said that the issue was in how they were being interpreted. And so I just want to, I want to ask you, is there a lot of flexibility built into these these new regs? And are you optimistic that that flexibility will be um, allowed to exist, I guess? Like, you know, getting at the problem I just described from 2004 to 06. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a combination. The the initial changes that were so damaging to the sector were quite prescriptive in some ways. And they, they did outline requirements that hadn't existed in the past. And that's why it was such a challenge for, uh, for operators to comply with those. I think that from our experience with our class D license, and moving into these this expanded opportunity, I can say that the complying with these regulations is is reasonable. the The paperwork is not difficult. Um, the requirements make sense. They maintain food safety. Uh, they maintain a level of traceability in case you have a problem. Um, and the risks the risks are very low, and this system adequately matches that. So I'd say it's very attainable for most farms. And um, I, I would really encourage people to look into it and reach out uh, to the Ministry of Agriculture for more information on, on, on doing these things. I think it's, it's very attainable. And overall, what, what level of happiness do you have about this evolution? Are you super happy? I mean, my next, just to, just to foreshadow, my next question is going to be, what do you want to see? What's, what are the next changes you'd like to see, if any? But how, how pleased are you with this development? I think it's great. I mean, I went through the entire process and I'm very pleased that the ministry kept with it and they were very, uh, they were open to feedback they checked in every step of the way with this uh, this working group as well as this task force that I was on, as well as uh, these different sector groups. There was lots of opportunity for feedback, and I think that the outcome was really good. I think that this creates uh, an opportunity throughout the province that I hope a lot of producers are going to take advantage of. And I think that one of the most important outcomes of that is, like I, I alluded earlier, I talked about a bit about this on-ramp. As we try to develop more capacity for this and expand the small scale meat producing sector and create more opportunities for consumers to buy locally produced BC meats, there has to be a way for people to put their toes in the water, see if they like doing this, see if there's a market for it. And I I hope that as people take advantage of this system throughout the province, um, it'll, it'll sort of, 
uh, create opportunities where some some more people will create uh, commercial abattoirs serving their their local region. So I'd say that the short answer is yes, I think it's it's great changes and um, and I, I think it's going to have a really positive impact throughout the province. And do you have any list going already of like what you would have what you would have liked to have seen changed in addition or what you'd like to see changed in the future or is it too early for that list? I think that now the things that are at the top of my mind is the is the cut and wrap shortage and the shortage of um, of qualified people to do this work. So we'll see how that goes, but that's what we're going to be continuing to look at. Um, you've already mentioned that that cut and wrap challenge. So now you can legally slaughter, but if you can't find somewhere to cut it, then how do you go on? But I think I think these are positive changes overall. All right. So here's my spilt milk question. <laughs> I think I think we could probably look back at the environment of meat slaughter prior to the 04 regulation and 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 objectively say like hey there were improvements that needed to be made there were food safety improvements that that needed to happen or should happen um you know that 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 the 04 to 04 regulation attempted to address um however clumsily um but i mean we're talking about what 18 years ago i just like rhetorically i just want to ask like was this necessary was it necessary for 18 years to pass before we got to a point where you as a as someone producing meat and and with a facility on farm now and who will be taking advantage of this new system like is happy <laughs> it just seems crazy and depressing you know yeah, because it's and... been a really tough environment for a lot of small to medium scale producers for a lot of years yeah and you know one one thing that has changed is we have the small scale meat producers association now so although there were a lot of advocates working on these issues small scale direct marketing meat producers didn't have a unified voice we may have been kind of represented by the cattlemen's association or by some other sector groups but our specific needs didn't have a common voice so the formation of small scale meat producers association in 2018 was an important step forward and i'd encourage anybody interested in these things to to get involved with that one of the things that we've done has been to compile a lot of the information uh, that was already out there. And that's been, I'd say that was one of the frustrations of this process for me was to see how, how many um, regional district, local reports, regional reports, uh, scholarly journal articles were, were talking about how this issue was impacting the sector. And most notably to me was, was the, uh, uh, quite a bit of information, including a report that the ministry themselves did a long time ago, uh, comparing and looking at on-farm and small-scale slaughter in terms of a food safety lens and finding that it is very safe. It is as safe or safer than the larger scale facilities because of the, the low line speed, the small volume. And, uh, and so, yeah, I'd look back and say, is, was this necessary? Did it have to take this long? Um, I mean, some of our, sometimes our government is primarily focused on export markets. I think we've seen that before. And with our current government, there's more of a focus on BC food for, for BC consumers. And I think that this is, uh, that these changes happening now is because of that, that focus on, on local food. And I, I think that certainly the pandemic has helped to highlight some of the food security issues that 
that folks have been identifying all along, but but um, in terms of supply chains and and the resiliency that comes from from local production. But also to me that the other thing that's going to come out of this is is increased utilization of local farmlands, increased options for diversified farms, um, for small farms to incorporate some livestock. There's a lot of really positive elements that are going to come out of this. But um, it's frustrating that it took this long, even when we had all the information and and I mean, back to your point about the 2004 changes, I mean, the reality is that that in each of the systems that have, have come about from each of these regulatory changes, uh, the instances of foodborne illnesses from these facilities are, are very low or negligible. And when we've asked them to provide uh, for us examples of, you know, when we looked at expansion of the on-farm slaughter, we're asking for examples of documented foodborne illnesses from on-farm slaughter facilities and there there have been none that were be, were be able to be provided so it's a very safe system and i think that the updates and expansions recognize that and it's through the work of these uh these folks who have been working on it for some for the entire time that since that initial regulatory change mm -hmm. tristan i'm I'm at the end of my list of questions, and so I'm almost ready to thank you and say goodbye. But is there anything else you wanted to mention before we sign off? No, I think we covered a lot of ground there, and I would encourage people to look up the uh, Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Fisheries, Meat Inspection, and Licensing information page for the specific details and reach out to the Small Scale Meat Producers Association if you'd like to become a member or to uh, get a little bit more information and background and on all of the government reports that happened uh, as this update was was uh, going on. Tristan Banwell, thanks so much for giving some time over to the podcast to give us this update. Thanks a lot, Jordan. I appreciate it. And I, I hope that uh, this is helpful information to a lot of farmers. Okay, that's it for this episode, everyone. I hope you enjoyed it. Hey, did you know that all of the music for this podcast is the work of, like, a pretty big deal in the jazz world? And did you know that the artist is the dad of one of your colleagues? I'm talking about jazz flutist Matt Eckel and his daughter, Aubin Banwell, co-owner of Spray Creek Ranch in Lillooet. A big thank you to Matt, who not only let us use the recording you're listening to now, but also recorded seven different transitions for us for moving between segments. If you want to listen to Matt's music, this song is called Grand's Blues. The album it's from is called Flute Jazz, and Eckle is spelled E-A-K-L-E. Thanks again, Matt. There's not much more to say, so we'll finish things off with my four-year-old son, Levon, reciting clauses from the Canadian Organic Standards General Principles and Management document. 7.1.16.1 Extraction of honey from a comb with a live brood and a prohibited.